Uh, today we are resuming our series on Acts 1 and 2 that we started on Pentecost Sunday that I've simply called Empowered. Uh, here in a minute we're going to look at Acts 2 if you want to turn there in your Bible. Uh, in the first week in our series from Acts 1, we looked at how Jesus promised his disciples that they were going to receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. We also saw in that first week of the series that Jesus' mission wasn't just for his disciples. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It wasn't just for them and theirs, but it was for all the people of the earth. Uh, all peoples, all languages, all tongues, all tribes. The kingdom of God is a kingdom with international membership. Amen. And we saw that in preparation for the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there were, there were at least two things that they did that helped to prepare them for the coming of the Spirit. One is that they got in unity with one another, and the other was that they were praying together. So I don't want to preach, re-preach that message, so if you did not uh, hear that message, I would encourage you to uh, go to our website. You have lots of options anymore. We, we are... We are now technologically up-to-date at the Vineyard. You can go to our website. You can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to our Facebook page. If you can't find a sermon to catch up with now, you're just not trying very hard. But uh, if you'd like to catch up, it's available at all those different places, so uh, check it out. So today we're moving to Acts 2. I simply want to read Acts 2, 1 through 13. I want to simply highlight, just observe some things that happened on the day of Pentecost and then spend just a few minutes uh, talking about how we can apply what happened on the day of Pentecost to our lives in central Ohio in 2020. So let's start by looking at our text, Acts 2, 1 through 13. I'll read, you follow along as I do. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Cretans, they had some Cretans there that day, and uh, there's always a Cretan somewhere, I don't know if y'all got it, but I'll move on, uh, and, uh, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So let's simply observe from the text what happened on the day 
of Pentecost. There are four observations that I want to make from what we've read today. The first one is we observe that they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And here's an important thing that I think we should uh, realize about that first observation. They were together in one place out of obedience to Christ. We, We saw in Acts 1 that he had told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so they were together in one place out of obedience to Christ. Do you realize, have you ever thought about how many wonderful gifts from God we receive that are not connected in any way, shape, or form to whether we're obedient to Him or not? Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, we, we refer to that as as common grace, and uh, there are just so many gifts from God that we receive uh, without even trying to be obedient to Him. You know, every breath that we take is a gift from God that both saint and sinner, redeemed and unregenerate, uh, receive uh, from uh, God. The enjoyment of a beautiful sunrise, the enjoyment of a beautiful sunset, a gift from God received by saint and sinner alike doesn't require any obedience. God just says, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this wonderful uh, gift. The Bible tells us that the rains that bring forth growth and harvest, those rains fall on just and unjust people alike. Those who know God and obey Him and those who don't know God and don't obey Him, they all receive the rains that bring the harvest. But there are some gifts of God that can only be received as we respond in obedience to Him. Those who weren't obedient to Christ, I, I don't know if this happened or not, but those, if there were those who weren't obedient to Christ and they didn't stay in Jerusalem, they would have missed what happened on the day of Pentecost. It required obedience to what Christ had said to be able to experience the wonderful events of the day of Pentecost. And so one of the lessons that we take from this, one of the observations that we make is that if we want all that God has for us, we have to walk in obedience to him like the disciples in Acts 2 did. And their obedience put them in a position to receive what God had for them. We're told in Acts 2 that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can you imagine that? I mean, allow your mind's eye to just kind of imagine that for for a minute. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? It really would. And one of the things that it wasn't that long ago I came to this realization, uh, but, but one of the things we need to understand about this is they had no expectation as to what would happen and what it would look like when the Holy Spirit came. They, they had been told that they'd received power through the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't been told exactly how it would happen. They hadn't uh, been given anything that would cause them to have an expectation as to what it would look like. This was something that had never happened before. You know, those of us who have experienced, uh, spent a lot of time in the church, 
Even if we have not experienced it ourselves, we've often seen other people have powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe we've not seen it, but we've had other people tell us about powerful encounters that they've had with the Holy Spirit. And so we're kind of like, like we kind of have an idea what that might be like, what that might look like, what that experience might uh, consist of. But these early believers had no previous experience to influence their expectation. They simply experienced it as a completely new thing as it was happening. Note that Luke doesn't say there was a violent wind. He says there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house. So again, we're just observing the text. Together in one place, the sound like a violent wind fills the whole house, and then then verse 3 tells us this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice the uncertainty of the description. Luke does not write, tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. He qualifies it by noting that to those who shared the experience, it seemed to be, what seemed to be, tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. Now realize it was years between the day of Pentecost and Luke writing the book of Acts. And in these years, there had been plenty of time for Luke to investigate, to consider, to reflect, to seek to fully understand what had happened. And still Luke has to say, it seemed to be tongues of fire. Been talking about this for years, still not entirely certain what happened, but it seemed as though there were tongues of fire. You know, sometimes God does stuff that even though we experienced it, even though we benefited from it, even though we know it was a good thing, we're still not entirely certain what happened. What was the deal there? What was going on? And since he's God and we're not, we should be prepared for God to do things every once in a while where we say, what in the world was that? What was that? Your theology and your relationship with God need to account for the possibility of God doing something that you simply can't completely categorize and understand. There needs to be room for that. And then verse 4 takes us to a whole new level. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the promise has now come. They are filled with the Spirit. And now filled with the Spirit, they received power to do things that surpassed their natural abilities. In verses 5 through 13, let us know exactly what this empowering to speak in other tongues was. It lets us know they were empowered by the Spirit to speak known languages that they themselves had never learned and did not know how to speak. And we know this 
because a crowd gathered around the disciples, because people from all over the world that were gathered in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost heard these disciples speaking in their own native language. Verse 5. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. It's crystal clear what's going on here. The speaking in other tongues that occurred here in Acts 2 was a supernatural empowerment by the Spirit of God that enabled the disciples to speak languages they had never learned so the people in Jerusalem could hear about the wonders of God declared in their own language, specifically so that they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in their own native language. They could hear the good news. Now next week, we are going to consider the purpose for which they received this empowering of the Spirit, the purpose for which this wonderful uh, empowering of speaking in these other languages was toward. We're going to do that. The sneak peek is that they received it for the purpose of fueling the proclamation of the gospel, which leads to people being saved, which leads to the Great Commission being fulfilled. So there's more that happened on the day of Pentecost than what we're going to talk about today, but the rest of it encompasses the purpose and the result or the fruit of the Holy Spirit's empowering. Again, we're going to look at that next week. But today I simply want to apply the events, these four things that we've already observed in the text, waiting in obedience, the sound of wind and something that looked like fire, and the filling of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to do something they couldn't do in their own strength, today I simply want to apply those four things to our context in 2020. And something I think is important for us to note here is that this is a unique event in salvation history. This is a unique event in the history of the church. Many churches and many Christians spend a great deal of time and effort and a lot of pleading with God, trying to see an exact duplication of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And I am not convinced that that's what we're supposed to do. I'm guessing that most of us have never seen tongues of fire. And if you have, that's okay. I mean... We're not going to laugh at you or anything. Like, it it happened, so it could happen. But I'm guessing most of you have not. Most of us have probably not heard the sound of a violent wind. Most of us have probably not spoken in tongues that someone from a foreign country said, Oh my gosh, do do you know my language? No. Well, I think you do, because you were just speaking it. I, I doubt that many of us have had that particular experience. And so what happened in Acts 2 I don't think is necessarily meant to be the the normative experience for believers and exactly the way it happened there, but there are absolutely things that we can and should apply to our lives today from what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so I want to consider some of those applications now. The first lesson we learned from the day of Pentecost that we can apply today Sometimes we need to slow down in order to encounter the Holy Spirit. If the disciples had not been waiting in obedience to Christ, 
they would have missed what God had for them. And here's a great fear that I have. I have it in my own life. I fear this for myself. I fear it for you. And it is that we're so often missing what God has for us because we're simply too busy. We have packed life so full that there's no room for God to, to like be in the mix. It's just too full. Like any relationship, our relationship with God needs an investment of time. We've got to make time for Him. And so if you're a person here today that would say, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever actually experienced the Holy Spirit in, in the kind of way that I think you're talking about today, Brian, in the, in the way that, it, it, you know, is at least somewhere in the ballpark of what they might have experienced on the day of Pentecost. Like, I've never been to that place where I just knew that I knew that I felt God, that I, that I was having a, a, a divine interaction with God. If, if that's you, it might be that you've simply not slowed down enough for that to happen. You, you've not allowed your mind the space to think on the things of the Spirit enough. Listen, friends, we are saved by grace through faith. When we come to a place of genuinely believing in Jesus and asking Him to be our Savior, we have the promise, we have the assurance that He saves us. And even if you don't feel a jolt of electricity in that moment when you come to faith in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, He saves you. He saves you. There's no exact way you have to feel. He saves you. But I believe, and I think the Bible bears this out, that it is important for believers to have an encounter, an experience with the Holy Spirit where you know that you know that you have felt God, that you have experienced the presence of God, that you have encountered Him in a way that you simply cannot deny. Throughout the book of Acts, believers were routinely asked, if they had received the Holy Spirit since they had believed on the Lord Jesus. And good conservative evangelicals don't know exactly what to do with that. But it means something. It means something. At minimum, it tells us that there is an experience of the Spirit beyond conversion that is available to us, and I believe we need it. We can't be legalistic about it. Remember the disciples were in Jerusalem waiting in obedience to a specific directive from Jesus. We can't, you know, be legalistic about it. We can't say it has to look exactly the same for every single person. But I believe that we need an encounter with the Holy Spirit that we cannot deny something happened then. And so here's what I recommend if you realize that the pace of your life is likely an obstacle to encountering the Spirit. Ask God to give you specific direction on what you should do, how you should slow down, how He wants you to create space for Him to move in your life. And whatever God reveals to you, I'm not going to tell you what you should do. 
You ask God for the specific direction. Whatever he tells you to do, you do that. Just like those early disciples did. Sometimes we have to slow down in order to encounter the Spirit. And so if you recognize a need of more of God's Spirit in your life, if, if faith has always been a matter of the head and you realize that you need it to touch you at the heart level, if you say, I've never had this happen, but I want to actually feel the Spirit's presence, ask God specifically how He wants you to slow down, commit to Him that you'll do it, Because you are a person who wants to receive all that the Spirit has for you. Here's the second lesson from the day of Pentecost that we can apply today in 2020. We need to be open to experiences of the Holy Spirit that can't be easily understood or explained. The sound of violent wind. What seemed to be. Tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on the disciples. Can we agree that these are odd things? They're, they're just odd. Again, even after years of thinking about them and analyzing them, Luke still couldn't say with absolute certainty. He had to qualify it. It seemed like. Couldn't definitively explain it, categorize it, couldn't completely wrap his brain around it. Can I be honest with you that as a pastor, I hear from a lot of people about the things that God impresses upon them, shows them. I hear a lot of different things about how God reveals himself to people, how they experience the the spirit in their lives. And in some of these instances internally, I just have to say, okay, (laughs) okay, I'm not sure what that's all about. But it doesn't violate anything scripturally as far as I can tell. So I'm going to trust that God is working through that even though I don't understand it. And even though what you said sounds very weird to me. Again, that conversation happens in, in my head. I don't, I don't say that out loud. Let me share something from my own life that I don't talk about very much. I don't do it often. But every once in a while, I pray in tongues. Not the Acts 2 tongues, as far as I know, but the 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 tongues. And can I be honest with you that every time I pray that way, as I start out, I'm thinking, what am I doing? This makes no sense. Christians don't even entirely agree on exactly what this is all about. This is so weird. And when I'm done, I have some of those same thoughts. But here's the truth. After I've prayed that way, without fail, I feel better than before I prayed. My confidence in God is always higher And usually after I've prayed that way, I feel like I could go out and conquer an army in the name of Jesus. So don't come to me with any nonsense right after I've prayed in tongues. Because I'm ready to go. Sure, I can explain some things about it. 
I grew up Pentecostal, so I better be able to explain some things about it. We see things in Scripture about it. Doesn't mean it's not a little odd. Doesn't mean it's not a little bit weird. Doesn't mean there's not some discomfort with it. But if we want all that the Spirit has for us, if we're open to encountering the Spirit and being empowered by the Spirit, we're going to have to be open to experiences that cannot be easily understood or explained. I encourage you not to let the fact that something is outside your normal everyday experience cause you to pull back from what God has for you. We can't shut down or run away just because something is outside of our ability to easily explain. We absolutely have to make sure that our experiences never violate what we see in the scriptures in any way. We do have to make sure of that. But we cannot run away because something is outside our normal experience. And so if you have been hesitant to press into something that you think God might have for you because you keep feeling like, that's weird. I would encourage you, if you continue to feel like God is calling you God is saying, I, I want you to have more. Press into that. Say, yes, God, I want everything that you have for me. Here's the third lesson from the day of Pentecost that we can apply today. We need to realize that we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit just as much now as they did then. I believe that part of how the events of the day of Pentecost helped the early believers is that it was an encounter with the Spirit that was undeniable. It, it, it was such an undeniable demonstration of the Spirit's power that for the rest of their lives, they were marked by that experience. And we need to experience the presence of God. We need to encounter the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are marked for life. We can never forget, we can never get away from that encounter with God that we had. Now let me be clear again that it doesn't have to look exactly like Acts 2. You don't have to hear a wind. You don't have to see tongues of fire. You don't have to see anything. It doesn't have to be loud. Your experience with the Spirit could be quiet and gentle. It could look like it did for St. Augustine who one day heard what he believed to be the voice of a little child saying to him, pick up and read, pick up and read. And somehow in his mind, he decided that the voice of this little child that he was hearing was actually the voice of God. That's weird. Why would you decide that the voice of a child is the voice of God? And yet, that's what he did. He sensed that the Holy Spirit was at work in what he was hearing. And so convinced that God was speaking to him to pick up the scriptures and read the Bible, he picked it up and read. And he did one of those things that only works if you're not trying to make it work. He let the Bible fall open and read the first thing. Have you ever tried that? I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but it tends to only work if you're not trying to get it to work. <laughs> you, you know... Okay, God, I'm going to open this up. First place, I'm going to... Jesus wept. Okay. One of the Levitical laws. Okay. 
Try again. But again, here's what's happening. He wasn't just doing this. He was being obedient to a specific directive of the Holy Spirit. And so that's when it's different. And so he picked it up and read the first place that he opened the Bible to. It was Romans 13, 13 through 14. And here's what it said. Still says this. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful, nat- sinful nature. Now, this was a powerful experience because uh, by St. Augustine's own account, he was pursuing a life of sinful pleasures in this moment when the Holy Spirit said, pick up and read, he picked up and read, and the first thing he read is, don't pursue sinful pleasures. And so in that moment, Augustine reported that he felt that his heart was flooded with light, and he turned in that moment totally away from a life of sin. No loud wind, No tongues of fire. It's quiet. Child's voice. Still a little bit odd, but quiet and simple. Reading the scriptures. But this quiet, simple experience marked him for life. It was an experience of the Spirit that he could not deny. It was an encounter with the Spirit that marked him and changed him. No matter how weak I may grow from time to time in my faith, I have experiences with God throughout my life that have marked me. Where I can never escape what I know I experienced, the encounter with God that I know I had. And if you've not had that, I encourage you to slow down your life to make room for God. Ask Him to allow you to encounter Him in that way. It might be a moment where a simple truth of God's Word overwhelms you and you get a little tingly. The hair on the back of your neck stands up. Maybe you feel a little warm. Maybe you just feel an overwhelming sense of peace. For some, it might just be a feeling of assurance where you say, in that moment, I went from questioning God to being totally aware and convinced of his love for me and his care for me. There is no one way it has to look, but it is so helpful when we experience the Spirit in a way where we cannot deny that we have encountered God. And the final lesson from the day of Pentecost that we can apply today We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things we cannot do naturally, to do things that we cannot do in our own ability. The disciples on the day of Pentecost were empowered to speak languages they had never learned. I mean, imagine that. Can you imagine how amazed they would have been uh, having been empowered to do that? 
I'm very thankful that God uses our natural abilities. God uses the natural gifts that we have from him, and and he uses those for his purposes. Our musicians today leading us in worship, they have natural abilities that God uses for his glory. Now those natural abilities are also empowered by the Spirit of God as well, but those are natural abilities. There are people who have those abilities who never turn them over to God, but they still have them. They're abilities, they're gifts that that God gives people. Some people are really gifted at serving, some at leading, some at teaching. They have natural abilities or natural giftings that come from God. Again, the Holy Spirit can empower those gifts, but they just have them. They don't have to be walking in obedience to Jesus to have them. They, They just have them. And God uses those gifts that Christians have for His purpose, but sometimes... What needs done cannot be done through the use of natural abilities or gifts, even those empowered by the Spirit. Sometimes for God's work to be done, believers need to be empowered to do things they simply cannot do in their own ability. And I was thinking about this for this message. I was thinking, okay, God, what what might that be for us? What, What might... Be one of the things that we simply can't do in our own ability. So let me share what I think one of those things is that applies to many of us. For the early disciples, they were empowered to speak languages they'd never heard. I think in 2020, many of us need the Holy Spirit to empower us with boldness that we've never had. They spoke languages they had never heard. If God can do that for them, perhaps he can empower us with boldness we have never had. Have you noticed that we are living in a difficult climate in which to share our faith? We live in an increasingly secular culture. We live in an increasingly polarized culture. We live in an increasingly hostile culture. People many times don't want to hear anything from anybody that could possibly be perceived as questioning their life choices and trying to introduce them to a better way. And you don't have to be off-putting for people not to be open to that. I mean, you can try to engage the, 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 the most gracious spiritual conversation and there's a really good chance you're going to get shut down and shut down hard. I think it's a tough time for evangelism. Now, I don't want to be cynical in what I'm about to say, but, but I don't think it's that tough of a time for evangelism if you reduce salvation down to something like raise your hand if you'd like Jesus to be the co-pilot of your life. I, I, I don't think it's a real tough time for that. But for the true gospel of Jesus Christ, sinner, need a savior. Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless life, and perfect obedience to the Father so that he could be our substitute, die on the cross for our sins. He raised again, proving that the price was paid in full. And now if we just have faith in what he did for us, we can, we can be saved. 
for that gospel, I think it's a tough time. It's a tough time for evangelism. I think we all sense this. And I think we shrink back. But if we really think about it, I don't think there could have been any tougher time for sharing the gospel than 50 days after the death of Jesus with the gospel's main spokesperson being someone who 50 days earlier had denied that even knew Jesus in a culture that wanted a political hero who would conquer Rome, not a supposed Messiah who had just been crucified on a cross. I'm not sure it gets any more difficult than that, friends. And I could have piled a whole bunch of stuff on top of those few examples I gave. But in that difficult environment, the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to do things they could not do naturally. And then God used what they did but couldn't have done in their own strength to bring 3,000 people to faith in a single day. I think that our environment is very tough. But I don't think it's tougher than that. And if we'll allow the Spirit to empower us with boldness we've never had, and for those of you who say, well, you know, you, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Too much boldness isn't a good thing. If the Holy Spirit empowers it, it'll be the right kind of boldness. It'll be a grace-filled boldness if the Holy Spirit empowers it. And let's just be honest. In 2020, in the evangelical church in the United States of America, I don't think boldness in the area of evangelism, being overzealous with that, is anything we need to worry about. Frankly. (laughs) So I think our environment is tough. But if we'll allow the Spirit to empower us with boldness we've never had, we might just see God do things that will surprise us as much as those early believers must have been surprised by what happened on the day of Pentecost. God can empower us to do things that we cannot do in our own strength. You say, Brian, I don't think there's any way that I can ever work up the nerve to share my faith. I believe you. I believe you. I don't believe you can work it up. I don't think I can work it up. But if we will allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, we can do it. We can share our faith. These are four ways that we can apply the events of Pentecost to our lives today. And I hope that we will do just that. Why don't you stand?